I was going to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do here July and August. Um, a group of us got together, and Andy Squires had a really good idea. He said, um, Robin, let me preach for the next two months. That was not what he said, really. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we're going to do a series on the book of Genesis, and um, we'll start next week. Next week's July. How many of you aware the summer's progressing nicely? So um, we've broken it down into basically about eight weeks, and I'll do a couple of weeks. John Mark's going to do a couple of weeks. Al Sergal's going to do some. Andy's going to do some. And then we'll have a couple of uh, visiting preachers here. One of them, Scott Volk. How many of you remember Scott? And um, Scott will actually do the birth of a nation, which is the last part of Genesis, which it has to do with the Jewish people, which will be interesting. And um, it was pretty funny. Andy drew Isaac. And Andy said, he's the worst guy in the whole Bible to preach on. He didn't do anything. <laughs> and then the Lord started showing Andy some stuff. So it's all going to be cool. So John Mark's going to do the flood. I'm going to do creation. John Mark's going to do the flood. Abraham's going to do, I'm sorry, Abraham will not be here. <laughs> Al Sergal's going to do Abraham. Then on the 23rd, Randall Worley will be here, which is always a, a great time. And then Andy Squires will do Isaac. So pack the place out for Andy so he'll feel good about Isaac. And then Al will do Jacob. John Mark will do Joseph. Scott will do the birth of the nation. And I'll come back and tie it all together. So you will know everything you need to know about the book of Genesis. You'll never have to look at it again. <laughs> not true. Not true. A number of years ago, I guess maybe three years ago, I was in California and I was interviewing people and doing these videos. I don't know if any of you have seen those little clips I put on um, Instagram. I have about five or six of Bill Johnson and um, actually I've got probably, I've got a number of other people I've interviewed and I've asked them questions I was interested in. I don't really care about how you grow your ministry. I want to know who your favorite preacher is or... Um, how do you stay close to the Lord? Isn't everybody else interested in that? You should be, honestly, if you're like me, and you should be like me. So, um, But anyway, as I was talking to Banning Liebscher, he, he um, is the senior leader of Jesus Culture, and he has all of these, a uh, lot of really young people. Actually, we've had three babies born in our congregation in the last three weeks, and we've got some more to go, so... That sort of identifies a lot of the people here. We aren't having babies, Don and I. We're done. But um, we did a great job. How many of you love my kids? Okay, good. All right. Thank you. I saw Christopher raise his hand too. That was awesome. <laughs> but Banning, um, Banning, I asked him all these questions, and he, it was really a lot of fun. But he said to me, Robin, what, what would you tell your 20-year-old self if you could? And um, so we could call this, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Or you could call this lessons learned the hard way. Please pay attention. Now, the interesting, so I have a number of, of different, some of them are sort of isolated statements and comments I want to make. But um, as I was actually reading through this the other day, I got a text from, uh, from John Mark. And John Mark told me about um, a TED Talk by um, a lady named Anne Lamott. And her TED Talk was called 12 Things I Have Learned in life and in writing. And um, it was very interesting. So on the same day, I'm thinking about talking about sort of practical life wisdom. And then I, I hear about, uh, I, I listen to that TED Talk, which is really, really good. Let me tell you a little bit about Anne Lamott. She's, um, 
she's not very, she's different. She loves Jesus and she's liberal. And some people don't think you can be that, but, but you can. It's hard, but you can do. No, I'm messing. <laughs> I got a few uh, exasperated looks over there. But um, hey, I can't help it, man. This, I've tried not to be the way I am. It's just this is what I'm left with. So. <laughs> so I was looking in Christianity Today and reading this article about Anne, Anne Lamott. And it's called Chatting with the Born Again Paradox. She came to Jesus just as she was, a foul-mouthed, bulimic, alcoholic, drug addict. One week after having an abortion, she surrendered to him in her very own version of the sinner's prayer, punctuated with the F word. So that would be a pretty pretty remarkable conversion. You know, Martin Luther said, um, God prehates appreciates an honest curse word more than feigned praise. I was expecting a hell yes over there, but didn't get one. (laughs) Pardon me, I'm sorry. (laughs) That must have been my job and I wasn't over there. So uh, no, but there, you know, come on, there's a reality to who God is and he looks at the heart and a lot of the stuff that bothers us, I don't think it bothers him but there's a lot of stuff that doesn't bother us that really does bother him. So figuring out which is which is, the, uh, is a very interesting dynamic. But, um, so the, the writer of this article said, when I recently called Anne Lamott, the funny, nutty, fast-talking, born-again author whose books include Bird by Bird, Operating Instructions, Traveling Mercies, and most recently Blue Shoe, the same earthy candor came through. To be sure, Lamont is a hardcore liberal. I disagree with her on many fronts. For example, with her belief that personhood doesn't start at conception. Yet deeper within her than her loud liberalism is a reality that has won many evangelical readers a zany ardor for Jesus. Lamont's fascination with all things Jesus-y, a term she might as well have copyrighted, must be the reason why she is a mixed bag of hilariously antagonistic affections. You know, when I, when I first met the Lord, um, and I grew up in church, I was in college when I had, I'd had several encounters, but some of them didn't take. But the one I had when I was in college, um, I didn't automatically believe everything the Bible said because I had become a Christian. But I was a real believer. I really did believe in Jesus. And people have different ideas and different opinions. And we just need to appreciate people. We need to love people. We don't need to, like, you know, give them some kind of, as they call it, a litmus test about how authentic their faith is. Um, because there are a lot of religious people that can answer all the questions, right? And I'm not interested in spending any time with them. Because they're not for real. You with me? Yes. And, and so if you're, if you're going to go after something authentic, you, you're going to have to accept people's sort of warts and all. They're not going to agree with all of your stuff, but they can really love Jesus. And I, I, think, I think we need to, to realize that. So she said... Um, Let me count the ways, uh, this lady is. Every morning before she gets out of bed, Lamont reads Meditations by Emmett Fox, the progressive new thought preacher who is popular in Alcoholics Anonymous circles. Quote, you want to buy this book, Sermon on the Mount, today. It'll change your life, I promise, Anne says. She looks up daily scripture passages in Zondervan's Women of Faith Study Bible. The conservative publisher puts out hundreds of books that I love, including If You Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat by Willow Creek Community Church Pastor, Teaching Pastor John Ortberg, a commentator for NPR and a columnist at the freethinkingsalon.com. Lamont shops all the time at Christian bookstores. She calls herself a bumper sticker Christian. The two bumper stickers saying she lives by are God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay like that. 
You got to have a big bumper on your car for that one. And I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Once she gets out of bed at 7 a.m., Lamont watches CNN as she's making breakfast. At 7.30, when she's cleaning up after breakfast and making lunch, her soul eats a little breakfast. The program of the very right-wing greatest preacher of all time, that's what Ann calls her, Joyce Meyer. I wish the order were reversed, she says. She's hilarious and a wonderful, God-fearing mess. And then she loves these word of faith people. So you find in this woman this extraordinary combination of, you know, loving God and working it all out. How many of you can, can identify with that? So anyway, they had asked her to, to give this TED talk. And a couple of the things she said were really good. Um. She's a writer, and so oh oh. Let me read you this one other thing. This is this is hysterical. Um, some right wingers, often with southern accents, wonder who they are. Accidentally, oh, occasionally called her to tell her that she will rot in hell. She received thirty such calls after writing a negative review of a god awful thriller by Pat Robertson. It's so hard to pigeonhole people. Isn't that awesome, though? I mean, you just have to love them. These are strong words for someone who receives hundreds of letters from people, grateful for her bringing them back to Christ, never gives a lecture without mentioning Jesus, orders tapes from Charles Stanley, and invited her secular editor and publisher to her baptism. In quotes, they were horrified. Unquote. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. So she said a couple of things that really, really good. She said, success in writing comes from seat of the pants in the seat of the chair. No one writes a good first draft. Boy, I know that's true. Diligence and consistency are keys to success. So here's some life, life lessons. The only way you're going to really be successful is if you stick with what you're doing. Um, she said, earth is a forgiveness school. That's, that's so vital. Forgiveness is essential to prevailing in life. Earth is a forgiveness school. I, it reminded me of something a, a little a boy, a little kid said in Sunday school. He was trying to quote, um, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Part of the, what's called the Lord's Prayer. But here's the way he said it. And forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. And um, one of the ways you know you have forgiven someone is you no longer pass their trash. You don't talk about them anymore in the negative. So that's two really good things you've heard this morning already. Okay. She also says... Grace is spiritual WD-40. WD-40 is that silicon-like spray that you spray on nuts and bolts and things or something that's stuck that you can't get undone. Grace is spiritual WD-40. It finds you exactly where you are but won't leave you there. I thought that was also very good. And as I read earlier, she was a foul-mouthed, bulimic, alcoholic, drug addict. And um, when she met the Lord, a week after she'd had an abortion. So that gives you an idea of, of her background. But she was saying this. She said, a good name for God is not me. I thought that was really good. It's a lot of people, that's just really good. Um. She said, um, God can stand for, G-O-D, gift of desperation. Gift of desperation. And what she means by that is a lot of people aren't ready for God because they aren't desperate enough. And that's a horrible idea, but it's a wonderful idea too at the same time. You don't have to be 
desperate, but um, sometimes that's the way it works. Actually, a friend of hers who had gone through just a horrible time and had become desperate described uh, her life this way. By the end, I was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. I thought that was... Let me read that again. Some of you, this person (laughs) described herself. By the end, I was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. Now, that's, uh, that's pretty rough. Okay. When Banning asked me um, what I would tell my 20-year-old self, I had a number, of, a number of real ideas or thoughts. A lot of them have to do with the way you think and why you think that way. But the first idea I had was this one. What would I tell myself in 1971? I would say, Robin, you really don't know how this whole thing works. Life itself. Pay attention. Yeah. It's funny, we're born, and, but we don't have any operating instructions. You, you're aware of that. We don't. You'd think college was to help people learn how to live, but a lot of it's really not. But um, you, I, would, I would say, listen, you really don't know how this works. Pay attention. What that's about is wisdom. You know, wisdom really does not come as standard operating equipment. If it did, I don't think we'd have a whole book in the Bible of wisdom. And, and I think you need to ask yourself this question. When is the last time I read the book of Proverbs? Just to challenge you. And it, it challenged me because we don't do things we don't think we need. But listen, the more wisdom you get, the better off you're going to be, the better off people are going to be around you. But wisdom really doesn't come as standard operating equipment. Um, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I would have told my 20-year-old self, listen, you're going you're gonna to get in some really difficult situations. And if you can't somehow connect with the Lord or people that know him, that know how this whole thing about life works, your life's going to be more difficult really than it needs to be. You know, they say um, experience is the best teacher. I have news for you. It is not the best teacher. It's a very thorough teacher, but someone else's experience is a much better teacher. Or listening to the Lord or gaining wisdom because there's some things we go through. We just don't have to go through the way we go through them. I mean, that's, that's what that dear lady was saying. Her life was deteriorating much quicker than her, she could lower her standard standard of living. I mean, um, you know, I didn't realize when I accepted Jesus, there was a nervous breakdown in my future. Now, I, I'm not saying God had preordained for me to have a nervous breakdown. I'm just telling you, the way I understood how you handled life brought me to that point as a believer, as a Christian. You know, one of the reasons I, I want to I share these things is um, there are attitudes that we can develop that are really, really unhealthy. There are thought processes we can buy into that really will at a given point turn on us and try to destroy our lives. So, um, 
I have literally at times cried aloud for wisdom and understanding. And I'll tell you, one, one, of the, one of the most dangerous attitudes we can have is arrogance. It, it really is. It's, it's anything that we can have that the Bible says God will resist is not good. Let me say that again. He's not bothering me. He's my grandson. <laughs> anything that will cause God to resist us is not good. And the Bible plainly says, for God resists the proud and gives grace uh, to the humble. Mm. One of the characteristics of a person with humility is that they can receive correction. Nobody starts off receiving correction well. Maybe some people do. But Proverbs 9, 8 through 11 says this, do not, do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Then it talks again about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Now, when you hear that term fear of the Lord, I don't believe it's talking about um, the kind of fear you have when you're afraid of something. You're afraid you're going to go broke or you're afraid you've got some sickness. No, it, it's talking about a profound respect for God. That's what that's really talking about. And and one of one of the problems a lot of people have is they don't have a profound enough respect for God that they believe the Bible. And for goodness sake, ladies and gentlemen, you're in a church this morning. Bible believing ought to be something we really do, but not the kind of Bible believing that makes you mean and nasty and angry at other people. See, that itself is maybe the worst deception that you can read the Bible and justify a hard attitude towards anyone else at all. I mean, that's just not right. I mean, any idiot ought to be able to figure that one out. But we don't sometimes. I've had my own problems. But this thing about arrogance, one of the things I would have told my 20-year-old self is believing something has nothing whatsoever to do with whether it's true or not. It has nothing to do with it. Just because you are serious about something and deeply believe it has, does not mean that thing is true. Matter of fact, here's the tricky thing about the truth. It's the truth whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change. You don't make something true by believing it. You don't, you don't change it. You don't alter it. But here's what happens. According to what Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And he wasn't talking just about doctrinal truth. He was talking about relational life truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you're not free, you are believing things that you think are true that are not true. It's just that simple. It's really just that simple. Now, it's a little bit more complicated working that out in life. Nevertheless, you don't, you don't make the truth true. It, it, it has latent within it life-transforming power when it's believed. I've got this whole teaching on... on the life of Simon Barjona or Peter. And I discovered that um, Jesus only called Simon Barjona Peter five times in the whole New Testament. It shows up hundred times, more than a hundred times. But Jesus didn't use it. Everybody else uses it. But the only time Jesus used that word Peter was when Jesus revealing was revealing to Peter who Peter really was, because Peter did not know. And we come into this world not really knowing who we are. God has to show us. 
He really has to show us. And so at a given point, Peter was fasting and he was at Simon the Tanner's house. And, and that's where the sheet came down. You remember the story over in Acts and on it were all these unclean animals. And the Lord said, now to me, it was a menu. Peter was hungry. So God lowers this menu. That's the way the Lord works. He uses grace, finds us where we are, exactly where we are, but doesn't leave us there. So the Lord lowers this menu before Peter. And he says, rise, Peter, not Simon Barjona, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter argues with the Lord. Not smart. He says, not so, Lord, I'm a Jew. We don't eat that stuff. You should know better. So the Lord does it to him a couple of more times, right? And then he finally says to him, listen, Peter, three guys are coming. Don't argue with them. Just go with them. Tell them about me. See what happens. And so Peter goes with them. They get baptized. They're Gentiles. They're from Cornelius' house. They're Gentiles. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues and interrupts Peter's message. Let me repeat. They spoke in tongues. That's how we knew Gentiles could be saved, ladies and gentlemen. You may not appreciate that truth. Nevertheless, there it is. Every New Testament book was written by someone who spoke in tongues. You may not get the full impact of that book, of that truth. Nevertheless, the truth is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. What can I say? Anyway, what was Jesus saying to Peter when he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat? He was saying this, Peter, if you don't change your mind about some pretty important things, you're not going to fulfill your commission. That was a great apostle, but he had some stuff wrong. All of us have stuff wrong. I have people that come to me and they said, you're wrong about this. And my instant reaction is, of course, that's not true. I don't say that. I think it. Anytime something goes wrong in my life, I am automatically looking for who to blame. Do you understand we have these knee-jerk reactions that just aren't good? But if you know you have them, you don't have to live with them. You can get over them. That was really good, wasn't it? Thank you. Um, sometimes, here's another thing. Sometimes you must let God be true and every man a liar. How many of you know that's a Bible verse? Let God be true and the rest of us a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, I mentioned earlier I had, um, I had basically a walking nervous breakdown. It was, it was a terrible, terrible time in my life. And one of those, I've, I've had two, some lessons are hard to learn. I've had two episodes like that in the last 40 years. Thank God the last one was 25 years ago. But I, I found myself at one point in a depression that scared me. I have been depressed before, but it didn't scare me. Do you know the difference? I didn't know how to get out of it. Well, one of the things I realized the Lord showed me was many of us don't realize what we're doing, but we're developing a theology based on not having to trust God. You don't really realize you're doing that until you get in a jam and, and all your stuff quits working. What stuff? Whatever stuff you use to get out of these jams. You can get in a jam where your stuff doesn't work. What do you do? You become disoriented. You become afraid. Well, I used to be able to read this and boom, or I used to go talk to this and boom. I used to praise God really loud and boom, I was clear. But then you can get into something and you don't know how to get out of it. What do you do? Well, here's what the Lord showed me. I was in this very, very dark place. And the Lord told me, and I've told you this before. Some of you have heard this. He said, you need to, you need to, uh, you need to sing your way out. 
And he gave me a song. I wrote a song. Now, I was defeated. I was miserable. I was heart sick. I was confused. Everybody understand where I, where I was? So here's the song the Lord gave me to sing. He's done it in me. Yes, he's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. And in my heart, I'm saying, but that's not true. How I feel is what's true. What I believe about myself is true. But the Lord didn't agree with that. He said, you sorrowful person, sing this. No more sorrow. You who are feeling despair, sing this. Despair has fled away. You who are defeated, sing this. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. And I said, Lord, it's not true. He said, sing it. I said, but it's not true. He said, sing it. And then he gave me three other verses that were even worse. <laughs> Mightier works has never a man done, never a man done than when God the Father sent Jesus the Son. The lame man, the blind man, he healed them one and all. He ransomed captive Israel and saved us from the fall. The Lord said, sing that. And I said, it's not, sing it. Next verse. <laughs> Revival has come. <laughs> and how my heart does soar. Jesus has won. The battle is no more. The devil has lost. He has no domain. Open up your hearts, you saints. Here comes latter rain. And so I began to sing that song. And what I was really doing was I was making myself the liar and God true. Every single thing he gave me that I said wasn't true was exactly the truth in the gospel according to the word of God. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I have been set free. I have been healed. Listen, that is a real problem when you deal with these verses. It is impossible for God to lie. I think that's in the book of Titus. And God cannot lie. And by his stripes, you were healed. By his stripes, you are healed. He forgives all our sins and heals all our sicknesses. And you're hurting. What do you do? You can side with your ailment or you can side with God. You can side with your depression or you can sing your song. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, no one gets out of this life without going through something whereby we need to know what the Bible says about our faith, about God, about who we are, about what he's done, and about how it works. Because, the listen, you have no idea the people that started out with me in the faith that are not in the faith any longer. And I have never met a single person who has turned around from the encounter, turned away from the encounter they've had with Jesus and their life improved and they became happier. Go show me that person. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying what my experience is. I really, I sang myself out of that depression. All I was really doing was believing and declaring the truth of the word of God about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done, about what he's done in me, whether I can recognize it yet or not. If Christ lives in me, 
the same power that resurrected him from the dead lives in my mortal body. Where do you get that foolishness? From the Bible. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he will make alive your mortal body. Paul wrote that. This is a challenging message today, but I think it's an encouraging one. You're going to need to know how to trust the Lord. Now, here's, here's something, though. If you don't trust the Lord, how many of you struggle with trusting the Lord? Yeah. Here's the deal. Everybody struggles with, struggles with trusting the Lord. And here's why. Trust is earned. Love is given. You can love someone that you don't trust until they earn your trust. Well, God's the same way. He wants to prove to us his trustworthiness. We're not going to right out of the bag, you know, right out of the chute, right at the beginning, just trust God indiscriminately. It just doesn't work that way. Our trust for God grows incrementally with our experience with him. And we begin to see he really is someone that we can trust. I remember... um, a, a, a pastor friend of mine and uh, picked a fellow up, was taking a guy to the airport and they actually had to take some of their bags early in the morning and the, and the flight was going to be later. And so they took the bags to the airport and they put it in this little place in public and the only thing that kept people from stealing his bag, they had a little rope that went across that kept people from going back there, a little rope. And the guy looked at his bags and he, turned to my preacher friend, he said, well, I guess I'll just have to trust the Lord. And my preacher friend looked at him and said, tis a pity. (laughs) In other words, that's like our last option, right? (laughs) And it's like, trust in the Lord, it doesn't work that well. I mean, that's what you're saying. No, 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 no. We have to learn to trust him. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I got a couple more here. What would have I told? What would I have told myself in 1971? That's when I was 20. I, I would have said, "Robin, life is not fair." Say that with me. Life is not fair. Look at someone and tell them, "Life is not fair." Okay, now here's the problem. If life is not fair for all of us, it it probably really is fair. That'll that'll, that'll land here sooner or later. (laughs) But really when we're saying life is not fair, we're saying we don't get what we deserve. Well, John Mark, when he was a... went out for Little League, and um, I know how Little Leagues work. If you don't know this, especially you just having little kids, you may not know. Coaches coach Little League so their kids can play, not so your kids can play. So John Mark was 11 years old. He'd been playing baseball. He was good. He went out for this team. Now, I know good. My dad was a college coach. I played college all the way up into baseball. I played three sports. Um, I used to have muscles. I had all that. (laughs) And I understand understand what good is. When I look at people, I can say, this guy's good, this guy's okay. This guy's good, this guy's okay. John Mark was good. But they they cut him from the team when he was 11. And when the guy called on the phone, I got in an argument with him. I said, you got the wrong number, bud. What do you mean? He said, well, no, I'm sorry. He didn't make the team. I said, sure he did. What do you mean? Didn't make the team. You don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) Well, coaches' kids made the team. 
Now, the next year, and I appreciate this about John Mark, he was good enough to play there when he was 11. He made the team when he was 12. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons was there was a tremendous man there who saw what he could do and made sure he got him because he felt bad about what happened the year before. But the year before, it suddenly dawned on me, I haven't taught my children that life's not fair. I had not prepared my children to know that. And it's important. That was an important life lesson. Actually, I learned five really good lessons at the Little League field. I'm not going to go into the rest of those. I got a couple others. Refuse to be a complainer. Guard against negativity. Let's say that together. Refuse to be a complainer. Guard against negativity. Complaint reinforces the things we're complaining about. It doesn't ultimately help. It feels good momentarily, but it doesn't ultimately help. Um, Here's another thing. I'm not going to go in. I've talked about that before. Don't fall for the false wisdom that concludes that criticism and cynicism are your friends. True wisdom builds something. Criticism, cynicism, and accusation are destructive. Do you know one of the devil's primary jobs to destroy people's lives? Who could tell me? He accuses. All you have to do is accuse someone in public, and whoever heard that accusation, it already registers with them that there's something wrong with that person. Whether it's true or not makes no difference because we have such an inclination towards believing things that are negative about people. Uh, One of the things that bothered me the most about the recent political cycle is the hostility, the accusation, the mean-spiritedness, the criticism that came out. I think it, it defiled so many people. But you, you cannot afford, listen, there are people who are cynical in response to their disappointments. It's their way of dealing with their disappointments. And, and I believe this, I believe cynicism comes out of a hurt pride. <clears throat> you are not simply willing to say, that hurt my feelings. I'm hurt here. I need help here. No, you just, you just make up some kind of a, Sarcastic comment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's not healthy. It's not good. It's not a foundational concept. Here's another one in it that I would say. If there's no grace in it, it's not the truth. And if there's no truth in it, it's not real grace. You following that? If there's no grace in it, it's not really the truth. If there's no truth in it, it's not really grace. Here's what I mean. This is a little bit hard to understand maybe, but I really believe this is true. Grace and truth, it says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. John 1.17 What I believe that means is that grace and truth are actually one thing, not two. Because there can be some things that are true, but if there's not a grace component to it, it's not really ultimately a pure truth. And then there's this concept of grace, but if it doesn't have a truth component to it, it's not real grace. What do you think? It's pretty good. No, that's really important. The, the only people that receive the grace of God are people that don't deserve the grace of God. People that deserve the grace of God don't get it because it's not for them. 
because grace is unmerited. It's also an enablement. You see, one of the ways we get in trouble is God gives us a grace, which is an empowerment. And instead of recognizing God has empowered us to write or to uh, be artistic or to be good in business, we don't realize that is a grace from God. We take, um, we assume it's who we are instead of what he's given us and it begins to diminish. Because we touch what God's given us as something that we think's ours when it's really something that he gave us to glorify himself through our lives and to bless our lives. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is the love God has for people who do not deserve his love because of their actions. But it's also an enabler. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. Here's another one. It's so easy to be wrong and believe you're right. But I've also seen this. Part of knowing where, you, you know, we have these situations we go through. How many of you realize sometimes we're just not sure what's right in given situations? We're not sure if we're you're nailing something. One of the things I think is that when we believe something, if, if it's not grace-filled, truth-oriented, and if it doesn't have some kind of a liberating element to it, something is really wrong with it. You know, the, 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 the apostle said, there are many voices in the world. There are many opinions in the world. Um, there are many people that want to sell you something. But to sell you something, you've got to believe something that's not accurate in order to feel like you need what they're selling. How many realize that's what the internet's all about? The internet wants you to feel like you don't have enough. You need more. You need something else. You, you don't qualify until. So it's just something to be aware of. Here's a really good one. Find someone who's known the Lord a long time and is happy and ask them how they did it. What's your secret? Here's another good one. God is good. Jesus was happy because he knew his father was good. I really like this about Jesus. It said, Jesus had an anointing of gladness, the oil of gladness, an anointing of joy above his brethren. What does that actually mean? Well, an anointing in the New Testament, Old Testament sense, means an endowment of power. It means an enablement. We'll say that person is really anointed songwriter. What does that mean? It means the anointing in their lives enables them to write these songs. It's, it's God's life force in a certain area. Well, Jesus' anointing was joy. There was, there was such a closeness between the Father and the Son that Jesus could draw his life from his father, and the way that life was expressed through Jesus' life was joy, happiness. They accused Jesus of being a drunkard, and I believe it was for two reasons. He drank wine, and he was exceedingly happy. So they used, I don't mean he drank wine and got drunk, but he turned water into wine. You, you can't convince me that's not what he did. It's, it's, you know, come on, give me a break. I know that's problematic. And I'm not making an alcohol statement here this morning on either side of the ledger. But what I'm saying is Jesus was called a drunkard because he gave people evidence that caused them to draw that conclusion. Have you ever seen really happy people the way they act sometimes? But there's something about joy that I think sometimes we're missing. For the kingdom of God is not what? Meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I heard, uh, I read one time, and this author said, joy is the infallible proof of the presence of God. 
How many of you heard of the uh, author Chesterton? Chesterton was G.T. Chesterton, I think. Actually, I think he was Catholic, but he's a very brilliant man and insightful. He said he believed God's mirth was his best kept secret. What if we all get to heaven and discover God was really happy? <laughs> oh, I've gone over. All right. I've got a lot other, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. We've had everybody okay? Good deal. All right. How many of you need some help? Everybody that needs help, stand with me. I need help too. Let's pray. Also, we do have ministry teams this morning. Any of you who would uh, like prayer, if you'll come up front here on this side of the auditorium, we'll be glad to, to pray for you. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it. Father, this morning we ask for wisdom. Lord, we don't want to learn lessons the hard way. We want to learn lessons the easy way. Father, I ask for all of us this morning, help us. Let's just say that together. Lord, help us. Lord, open our eyes to the help you've given. Open our eyes, Lord, to the help you've already provided for us. Lord, show us who you are inside of us and everything that that means. I just, I just begin to think, I, I begin to think about some of the things Paul Paul wrote in Ephesians. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's an amazing promise. How many of us say that on a regular, regular basis? God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if Christ Jesus is inside of you, that's inside of you. Every blessing. He made us accepted in the beloved. We have redemption. We have obtained an inheritance. We have been made alive. We have been raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. By his stripes, we're healed. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before we were born for the purpose that we walk in those good works. So, Father, help us by revealing to us who you are and what you've done and how wonderful the gospel really is. And give us a great week this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless all you folks.